I think from Charlie. Do I really need a specifically in Romans. Like, I've been stuck in Romans for like two and a half months now. Every time I finish Romans, I want to go to the next one, and, and the Lord speaks to me and says, probably need to read that again. Right? So literally, I've gone through it for three. But the good thing is, is I only have a few verses from Romans tonight, and my wife is really going to be glad that I won't use any verses that pertain to circumcision or any of those verses, because she doesn't want to hear that anymore. But anyway, so I started to type out my notes, and this Holy Ghost told me this morning, he goes, now I want you to write them. And I hate writing. I, there is nothing I like less than writing. Because one of my handwriting is atrocious. So I have to write it like a third grader. Like literally, you know, block, print. So I, so I, I, I wrote them out because I was going to type them up and put them in my iPad and try to make it look, you know, like I knew what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> but, but anyway, I've really been kind of stuck on... You know, I hear a lot of people say, well, I want to go deeper in the Lord. I, I, want, I want to, you know, take my relationship deeper. And when they say that, I always think, well, what, is, what does that really look like? And what does that mean? Is that just really just praying more? Or is it, you know, fasting or, or all these things? And, and the answer is yes. But the reality is, is that, you know, if you, want to, if you say that you want to go deeper, we really need to understand what it means to, to go deeper in the Lord, to go deeper in a relationship with Jesus. And then that led me to ask my question, like, what does it really mean when we say that we're Christian? Because a lot of people say that they're Christians, right? And it couldn't tell you, you know, what John 3.16 says, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, you know, that's, people are in different places, but they're walking everything. But it started to resonate with me, like, to go deeper means that we have to first abide in the word or the commandments of the Lord. That's like, okay, so well, what does that mean? So we know that, you know, Christian believers have, you know, commandments that we have to follow because... If you think about what Jesus said in Matthew. So did we bring our Bibles? Because I'd really like to like throw some Bible. Everybody got the Bible out on the phone? <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to ask you to read some scriptures. That's 
sir, right? I'll, I'll do the first one. Somebody said this was Bible study. <laughs> So I'll start in Matthew 22, 36 through 40. So the disciples are asking Jesus, And Master, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang the law of the prophets. I was like, well, okay, that's interesting. Like, first, the whole love thing really trips me up because love is hard. Like, it's really hard to love the way that Jesus just described right here, right? But he literally just says that those are the two greatest commandments. So if we go back to the Old Testament, there was the law, which was the law from Moses, right? Which is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. And then there's the, the prophets, right? So we know the prophets are Isaiah, Nehemiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Well, inside of those books of the prophets, there are a series of laws that they gave. Like Jeremiah gave you laws as it relates to dealing, to dealing with one another. So then I was looking at the, Mos the Mosaic law or the, or the, Mo the, the, the law in, in the first five books, which the Jews refer to as the to Torah or the Greeks refer to as the, the Pentateuch, which is what I learned. I thought that was interesting. But anyway, so uh, tooth for tooth. Anybody heard tooth for tooth, eye for eye? So if you know you strike me, I get to strike you back and all those things. Like, okay, pretty, pretty interesting laws, you know. You can put your wife away with divorce and all those things. But when I really started looking into what this was meaning here, and when I go to Mark, go to Mark right quick. Mark 12, 28, and 31. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together, and perceived that he would answer them well, and asked him, which is the first commandment? And Jesus said, first of all, the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love thy Lord thy God with thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, with all thy strength. And this is the first commandment. So Mark went way deeper on talking about that first commandment, right? With your mind and with your heart and with your strength. And the second is likely namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, and there is none other commandment greater than these. Well, so then I'm like, all right, well, surely if it says it in Mark, it's got to say something about it in Luke, because those two kind of run pretty parallel. So then I go to Luke 10 and 27. And he answered them and said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. So it's in there three times. All right. So generally when things are written in the word more than once, it's, it's very important, especially when it's the, the words of Christ. Mm -hmm. And so then on these depends the law of the prophets. So then in Matthew 5, and then I'm going to actually say something. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18. <clears throat> Think not that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. So verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or tittle shall not wise pass from the law till it all be fulfilled. So there's Jesus saying that 
I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. So when we think about what did Jesus do to fulfill the law, because he says, not one jot or tittle shall pass away. So that means that the law, the law that's written in the first five books of the, the Bible, are not passed away, but he has fulfilled them. So and then he says, love God with your whole heart, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. And upon these, the law of the prophets hang. So what Jesus is saying there is that by doing those two commandments, you're actually fulfilling the other commandments. You're fulfilling the actual old law by doing that. Because think about the old law. Tooth for tooth, eye for eye, writ of divorce, um, you kill my cow, you got to pay me and I get your cow, that type of thing. But what does Jesus say as a Christian, how are you supposed to live? So like if I went up to Vince and I smacked him on the left cheek, under the old law, Vince gets to strike me back. But in the new law, what happens? Under Jesus' law. He's got to give me the other cheek. <laughs> Tell me that ain't tough. Right? And what, is he, what, is, what does he say about the whole divorce thing? You know? That, I mean, that's way harder. And then what does he say, what does he say about the lust of the eyes? Because, you know, in the Old Testament, you, didn't, you weren't convicted of the sin of fornication until you actually committed the act. But Jesus said that if you look on a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed sin. Way, way much harder. Way much harder than the original law. So the, the level in which you have to live as a Christian or a believer in Christ is actually much more deeper and, and, and more rigorous than just abiding under an old law. Because that's why the old law, you know, people perished under the old law because... One, they couldn't keep the law, and two, it didn't really bind them to anything or call them to a higher to a higher standard. So, Jesus fulfilled the law, but he reconfirmed that till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or tittle shall pass. So, in Matthew twenty, in Matthew twenty-two, right? We talked about that earlier. What what is that? What is that really then alluding us to? Well, then that re leads us to Romans thirteen eight. Now I thought, you know, I had like six pages of notes. I'm like, six pages of notes? I'm, no way I'll get through that in an hour. <laughs> oh no man, anything but but to love one another for for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Right, so oh no man, nothing. But love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. So once again, back to back to love, right? So what I don't want anybody to mistake me for is that we can't just sit and say that, well, I can sin or I can do this because Jesus fulfilled the law and, and, and he's the God of love and everything else. But what he's clearly calling out here that love is actually a higher standard than we live normally in our day-to-day -day or in our flesh. Because the whole act of living in love is to pretty much, well... Put away self. So in Galatians 5.14, it says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one, one word, and the word being the actual word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, there's that back to loving your neighbor as yourself, and this was stated by Paul. So the only legitimate debt, and the one debt that Christians can never fully repay, is your ongoing obligation to love one another. So you can't worship enough, you can't praise the Lord enough, you can't give enough tithe and offering, you can't do enough works or anything else to ever repay the debt 
which clearly says that Paul is saying that your ongoing debt is your obligation to one love one another, which, as I stated a while ago, is sometimes very hard. Yes? Um, have you ever heard the example, like, in the past, this relationship here, what is that, horizontal? The horizontal, yeah. How your relationship is, how you treat others and love others, you know, is a kind of reflection you how can if this one if this one's not right i don't think this one can be right the the, the relationship between god and man if the that one's not right and the vertical the horizontal it's like you right. gotta yeah it's almost like she almost read my notes i'm not for sure <laughs> i swear i didn't well, no, i've that. always heard that no that's that an excellent point like it's, it's an excellent it's challenging point. like how can you say you love god and hate your brother or exactly. have you know and it's it's how you treat others is a reflection of your because they were written in that order because you can't you can't do the second one love thy neighbor as thyself if you're not doing the first one if you're not loving god with your whole heart mind and strength then you cannot fulfill the second one which is love thy neighbor so first john 4 19 says we love because he first loved us so i think we just talked about some of the examples of you know love and how it's fulfilled under the new covenant under after the death of, of Jesus and the resurrection of you know being under a stricter standard so which now leads to the what you were kind of getting at this relationship right here right so we know that we have to love our neighbor as ourselves we have to love God with our whole heart mind and strength so in Matthew 6:33, this is the key to how do you get this relationship right right here right so in 633 he says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and these will be added to you. All right, so everybody's always like, well, what's these will be added to you? So if we go back and look at verses 25 through 32, he's talking about the lilies of the field and the grass and the birds and all the things you see in nature. Like lilies don't, you know, strive to, to be lilies and grass grows and it, it does its own thing. You don't see nature, you know, the birds striving for for security and possessions so I'm like well that was that's kind of interesting so what does it mean to add these things unto you because I was really like first what does it mean to seek first the kingdom of God secondly and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you because in Luke it just says seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you but in Matthew it says seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be added to you so I didn't quite get that far into detail. Like, why would Luke leave out the end, his righteousness part? Or, you know, why, is, why, why did Matthew put that in? So that, that's just kind of the differences between the way the different writers captured the actual, actual moment, which I found was, was kind of interesting. So the first thing we have to discern is, like, what kingdom are you seeking? Because it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. But I think there's, you know... What, what kingdom are we seeking first? Because look, worldly kingdoms, they require us to compete for resources, to rule over one another, to be dominant, to be competitive, because we want to have possessions, we want to have income, we want to have protection, right? That's what makes us feel safe. Like when I look at my 401k balance, some days I feel really safe and other days I don't, <laughs> right? But that's, that's from the worldly kingdom. Right? That's not looking at this relationship the way that he's talking about in Matthew 6, 33. 
So a worldly kingdom, once it's established and you have all these possessions, so if you think about, you know, the, the great uh, philanthropists of the world, the Bill Gates and, and all these folks, right? Well, when they were working out of their garage and they were living hand to mouth, they weren't given to the poor and they weren't giving. It's only until they secured their security and, and their financial freedom yes. and everything else that they started their charitable foundations, which are just tax fronts, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother lesson right there, right? So the world tells you that, well, you need to acquire all these things. You need to acquire wealth. You need to acquire a home. You need to have a good job. You need to have financial security and all these things. And then you can start taking care of others or looking at others. And that, that's generally the way you see it. We generally give out of our abundance, right? But if you go back to what he was talking about in, in 625 through 33, if you're... If, nature the grass and the lilies and the birds they don't strive for those things and he takes care of them yes amen right so as a good father right if he takes care of the grass and the lilies and he knows the number of hairs on your head how much more so than if you seek his kingdom first mm -hmm. right he's going to take care of those things for you because jesus didn't say it was wrong to seek those things. He didn't speak against say, well, you shouldn't be trying to do this and you shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't be working and you shouldn't be accumulating wealth and you shouldn't be doing those. You just have to do them with the right motivation, right? You seek his kingdom first mm -hmm. and then all these other things will be added to you. Because when you do that, you're blessed, you know? Yes. Right. Like I went out to bring the trash can in today. There's a $5 bill laid in the street. I kid you not. Oh. Right? Who's ever gotten paid going out to bring the trash no. can in? I'm just saying it right now. Anybody, has anybody ever got paid to take the trash in and out? No. no. Just like that. Of course, I gave it to my wife because she stuck it in her wallet. <laughs> so my wife was blessed. So, so to seek the kingdom of God first means to prioritize love over survival, right? So those things I'm talking about, what we consider needs for survival. So to seek the kingdom really means to seek love, this relationship first, so that then I can complete this relationship. And Jesus embodied that on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. Because that was really the, the ultimate act of love. So where's another, where's another example of love in the New Testament that as a church that we, we think that's ex an example for us. So you just think real quick. I mean, this is a Pentecostal church, so I'll at least direct you to the right book. It's the book of Acts. <laughs> so, 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 right. So really the Acts 2 church in general, right gives us a look at what it means to be compelled by love and living as Jesus taught right it was the kingdom in a dangerous world so the church was rallied together in unity and love right yes. and, th and that's how and that's how they lived so they were seeking the kingdom and they took up uh, people to take care of the widows and things they provided um, that's showing right. love to them and they went from house to house yeah. and they broke bread together and they were in fellowship, mm -hmm. right? So that unity and love brought them together like that and compelled them then to act in, as the word said, love thy neighbor as thyself, 
right? So if your neighbor is in need of, you know, a cloak or if he asks you for a cloak, not only give him your cloak, but give him your outer garment as well, right? Mm -hmm. If they ask you to go a mile with them, go two miles with them, mm -hmm. right? So there's several examples in, in, other, in the other gospels where Jesus is telling you, even, you know, if, if, if you're asked to do this, you should really be doing this because you should be compelled by love. And I've never looked at it from that perspective before. I have. It's sad yeah. to say. I've always looked at it more from a, from an obedience perspective. Like, well, okay. It's kind of, kind of like an obedience thing. But if you're doing things out of love, you'll do things for love in your earthly self that nobody else will do for like your immediate family, you know? You know, you'll drive, you'll drive a thousand miles for your immediate family and go and help them. It's the same, it's the same with the, the Lord, right? He'll, he'll go a thousand miles to, to come and find you. So seeking the kingdom of God is really a life marked by selfless giving and freedom of fear from self-preservation, right? Not, st not striving, not worrying about this. Because in, in Matthew 6 and 34, which I didn't add into, into my original text, was Jesus says, don't worry and take worry from tomorrow because one, today has enough worry for you and so does tomorrow. So don't borrow from tomorrow to bring worry into today, which that is a whole other Bible study right there that we could probably do because think about, I mean, always, you know, always. I mean, especially, I think especially as a man and the provider and the breadwinner especially, I'm always kind of worried about tomorrow. Like, you know, how am I going to perform tomorrow to make sure that I'm protecting and providing and caring and like have to check myself? I'm like, first, I got to take that to the Lord, mm -hmm. right? And let him guide me in that. Because as a, as a man, speaking to the men, it's very easy for us to get into that problem-solving, fix, hunter, hunter mode that we have, you know, wired into us to go out and, you know, provide for the family and, and do it our way and, and push through things. And, you know, I think that's one of the biggest, the biggest things is checking that in your spirit as a man to like, all right, first, let me seek the Lord, see what his will is on this, and then let him bless me or open up the doors for me or whatever, because there's a thousand doors that I've ran into head first on my stubbornness when I really should have been praying and seeking God for it. He would have opened the door for me. So... Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We've heard that one, right? Mm -hmm. So thy kingdom come, he's referring to thy, the kingdom, which is love, right? On earth as it is in heaven. So when we get to heaven, right? It's just a big love fest. We're going to be loving on the Lord. We're going to be screaming hallelujah and holy, holy. It's just going to be a really great, awesome event. We can't even imagine what it's like because our little minds can't even gra grasp it, right? No. But that was kind of a glimpse into what Jesus was talking about because thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven is fully fulfilled when the kingdom comes onto the earth and everybody operates in, in a mode of love. So let me go to Romans 14, 17 right quick because Paul now breaks it down for us. So we know that Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these will be added to you. But then in Romans 14 and 17, Paul breaks it down for us a little bit more as believers. So if you've repented, you've been baptized in Jesus' name, and you've received the Holy Ghost, right? Paul is breaking it down for you here, and he says, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
So, all right, so the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. So that ties back to what Jesus was saying in 633 or 25 through 32 that, you know, these things will be added unto you and the king, seek ye first the kingdom. So how do we think we're seeking the kingdom of God if we're not letting the Holy Ghost lead us? I mean, it is a question. So if we're, if we're not letting the Holy Ghost guide us, we can't enter into peace and joy nor righteousness. Okay, so the Holy Ghost is the key there, right? Everybody with me? Any questions? Yes. I had a question. <laughs> so I remember this very well when we first started going to this type of a church. Mm -hmm. And I had a little one of those flip calendars. And it had the scripture verses on it. And that particular verse, it said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And then in parentheses, it said righteousness, peace, and joy, and the Holy Ghost, and his righteousness. So I just, that was just like what you just said. I remember trying to process all of that in the beginning, like trying to learn all of this. It was like, wait a minute, seek ye first the kingdom of God, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. In the, in the Holy Ghost. Ghost. So there, in the Holy Ghost, that makes you in right standing. Mm -hmm. But then I thought, well, then it says, and his righteousness. And like there's righteousness. So that puts you in right standing with God. But then there's a way of him, how he wants you to do things, his righteousness, his way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And all these things shall be added unto you. Right? So I was trying to figure out like what you're explaining, but I mean that little parentheses, every time I hear that verse, that's what I think of. Because something that has been yes, coming so up. So the parentheses said his righteousness. No, it it, it said it, seek ye first the kingdom of God. <laughs> in in parentheses it was telling you what the king is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, what yeah. you just said in Romans. And his righteousness. Mm -hmm. So Receiving, you know, puts you into the kingdom, right? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Is that right? I don't know. That's not what it says in the King James, but. Oh, well, what's it say in the King James? And the Holy Ghost, period. So. What? It doesn't add another and his righteousness. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and, and his, righteousness. his righteousness. And these shall be added unto you. Right. Right. And then in Romans. It says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Ghost. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy so Ghost. So there's only one righteousness in both verses. But the righteousness is speaking to the righteousness of the Lord, not your righteousness, right? Because it clearly says that our righteousness is like filthy rags, right? So no matter how hard we try to be righteous or do things without the Holy Ghost and doing the natural, there is no there is no such thing as us being righteous. Like, you know, you, you can't be good enough. Like, oh, they're good people, you know? I remember growing up in Texas, my grandparents would always say, well, that's good people. I'm like, really? And I didn't know any better then, right? But looking back on it now, I'm like, the dude had a fifth of wild turkey in his back pocket. He's good people. I'm like, who are we? Right? So, but anyway, that's just, you know, a glimpse into the, the West Texas upbringing that I had to enjoy. So, yes, right, exactly. Uh, so, in uh, 
In John 6 and 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth upon me shall never thirst. So, kind of moving on to, you know, seek ye the kingdom of God, and now we're talking about and his righteousness, right? So to seek righteousness is the hunger and thirst for the word of God and fellowship with his people. So if you're seeking his righteousness, right, you have a hunger and thirst for the word of God and fellowship with his people, right? So there's no, there's no lone wolves in the kingdom, right? You can't be lone wolf, okay, McQuaid. You can't be Chuck Norris, right? There's no Chuck Norris in the kingdom of God. We all, we all need every, we all need each other because we're a body. So, uh, Jesus also said the same thing in Matthew 7 and 11. And then Paul basically says the same thing again in Romans 3.25 and then in John 14 and 15. They're all bringing that point home that when you seek his righteousness, it's about to thirst after the, after the thing. So Matthew 5.6, right? That's in the what? The, the Beatitudes, right? It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So that's in red letters. So Jesus is telling us that blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you, you go in to think about Righteousness. So, so how are they blessed when it says they are blessed and hunger for righteousness? And right. So, how are you blessed if you hunger and thirst for righteousness and you're seeking the kingdom? What's the blessing? God's going to take care of everything else. There it is. Right. All these things are added to you. So right? I, I look. I'm sorry. I, I look back at our long years of marriage, sixty-seven years. And we were basically poor when we got married. We were really poor. We weren't basically. <laughs> and we never had a financial advisor, even after I got, you know, started, got finished my education and got a better job and all of this, and my husband did. But through the years, you can sit, and we do this sometimes. We sit and we go back and we say, look what God did. Because we we went to church and we did it's kind of like doing find out what God is doing what he's interested in and help him in that and he's going to take care of you and he does and it just amazes me how well I don't think a financial advisor would have helped us anywhere near what God has but he's given us miracles along the way in different things and he will if you put him first and maybe you think I don't have enough money in the in to buy gas to go to church but go anyway put him first and he's not going to let you owe him you're not going to get the best of God with your finances or with your time mm -hmm. and by putting him first in your life then you can expect through the years all those things he'll keep adding things You'll find five dollars when you take the trash out. <laughs> he won't forget you. He's very faithful. Absolutely. And so, you know, in the Beatitudes, he's telling us, you know, that blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then you go to six thirty-three, and he's telling you to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these will be added to you. And he tells you, you know, what these things are that will be added to you, which is the things that you need to. Yeah to live, to, yes. to, to survive, but not only that, but to thrive, because he didn't say you shouldn't want these things, or you shouldn't seek these things, or you shouldn't accumulate these things. 
I think he was speaking more from a put your faith in him and then these things will be added to you as the blessing. But then once that foundation is established and you're a good steward over that and you keep that relationship right, then you start seeing that like you were just mm -hmm. testifying that there's an acceleration and an adding to and those type of things. Yes. You know, so I mean, I, I probably, you know, we didn't come, I didn't come from a church background, obviously. I mean, so, and I knew nothing about church or God or, or anything. And then we got married and we made the decision, well, married people go to church, so let's go to church, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's just what, that's just what, you know, popped in there, right? Because we weren't doing anything else right. We need to at least do something right. So, you know, we started on this journey of, you know, church. And I think one of the things that I was left with early on is that my wife really locked on to uh giving to the Lord and putting him first in your finances. Yes. Completely foreign to me. Like, you know, because I, I grew up poor, we were homeless for a while and so, some other things too. And so I like every nickel that runs, you know, across my hand, I'm like, I'm holding on to it as tight as I can because like, you know, I may not know when I'm going to get some more, you know, the, I think when we got married, I think I was making 425, 450 an hour. Right. So, I mean like, wow. And, uh, so, you know, I'm like, you know, that's $275 a week with, you know, a few hours of overtime after taxes. And, and she's telling me that we have to tithe off of that. Okay. Question. <laughs> you weren't with me. This, this is funny because you weren't with me. I, we were living in Illinois at the time. And my sister had actually invited me to go to church with her. And it was a non-denominational church. And the pa I had never heard anything like this in my life. So I was like shocked and excited. Like, wow, I cannot believe this. I mean, this pastor was up there. And he, he said, you know, he was teaching on you reap what you sow. You know, he brought a teaspoon. And then he brought a, something else a little bit bigger. Then he brought like a dump, a wheelbarrow. And he was showing like, if you give a teaspoon, you'll get a teaspoon. If you give, you know, it, but I mean, like you said, and that's, I can remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I mean, you're like, well, what good is my $5 gonna do? What, what do they need my $5 for? Right, and exactly. I'm like, well, when Jesus looked, what did he see when he, he saw the widow? I just kept that, like the teaching was like, he saw the widow that gave two mites, she gave the most. She gave everything she had, and she trusted the Lord. And I, I just thought that that was a, I think I got it backwards, like, somehow I don't know how that, <laughs> but anyway, that. So, I mean, that was that was something really hard for me to, to accept, especially coming from where I was coming from. It, and it was a point of contentious with us for, for quite some time, like, you know, because I'm like, well, I wanted well, the blessings of God because they the, the way and I wanted to pay the it, light bill. Yes, <laughs> the way he explained it is like this is how you, you you can get the blessings of God, and God will bless you if you do this. God will bless yes. you, and so I'm like, and they will. then I that's what I want. That I want the and and it's just like God directed our steps and led us, but in order to write to this apostolic Pentecostal, and I'm still trying to get what I need, <laughs> who I need. <laughs> so through this journey that we've gone on, of course, we've lived in a lot of places too, because, you know, 
I wasn't necessarily always following what the Lord wanted. Like there was a lot of times that I strove for myself, like this new job, this better promotion, that type of thing, you know, going after that. Uh, but, you know, we always prayed about it. And I, it never led us astray or led us in a wrong direction. Probably might have been harder than it had to be because we weren't necessarily locked in. You're out of questions. You're, you're exceeding we, your we, <laughs> like, we figured out, like, Lord, if this is your will, open the door. If it's not your will, close the door. That's so you. But it that's took, what but you it took started me a couple praying. of times of slamming into doors <laughs> to, to, fig, to figure that out. I'll never forget. I'll give you a little bit of a testimony, and then I'll finish this up. So I was still kind of, I mean, I would intentionally sometimes schedule my work schedule so that I wouldn't have to go to church. So my wife goes to a Penny, uh, Apostolic Pentecostal Church in Detroit. It's the first time she's ever gone there. She comes home, tells me it's a Sunday, Sunday afternoon. I'm just getting home from work. She's telling me how awesome it is. I'm like, what? She goes, and they have church at night. I'm like, who has church at night? <laughs> and on Wednesday night. <laughs> what in the world? So anyway, so she, uh, she, she tells me to go, which most wives do, tells me to go. So I go. I thought it's crazy. It's absolutely absurd. I mean, there was like bobby pins flying around, and the Holy Ghost was moving. There were great. I mean, it was great music. It was loud. People were just praying, and just I'm like, wow, this is something else. These people are crazy. I'm never coming back. <laughs> <laughs> Legit. That's, well, that's, remember, that's what happened right here. I remember telling you when we, when I got home, it's like I think we missed something. I yeah. think we missed something. We, yeah, we might not have the full story. Yeah, well, we, anyway, we so, so so I made sure I scheduled myself to work for the next few Sundays while she went to church. <laughs> so um, so it's holiday season. It's November. She had, we had some friends, and I won't go into the details, but they were you know they're the ones that invited us to church, and they were doing a Bible study anyway. Big uh, multi generational apostolic Pentecostal family, and so we were at Thanksgiving. We were invited over Thanksgiving at their house. You know, they were talking and ministering to me, you know, because obviously I'm a project when I walk in the door at that point, you know, <laughs> something for them to do. And um, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm not really believing a word that they're saying, but, you know, it's Thanksgiving, the dinner was good. So anyway, they're having a special service on November 27th, 2001 in the evening. So I go, begrudgingly at first, but, you know, I kind of get into it, clap my hands a few times. You know, okay, okay. Anyway, so they have altar call. I'm like, all right. I go up to the altar, and I said, and I raised my hands, and I said, God, I don't know if this is real, what these people are doing is real or whatever. I said, but you know me. This is your one shot. And literally, the men came to church, came around me, and started praying for me, and I received the Holy Ghost. And I didn't fall out speaking like a Chinese laundromat or any of that crazy stuff that people talk about. It was just, you know, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I definitely felt something. I don't know what it was. But then as soon as we left the service, I kind of, you know, the world comes rushing back in. Right? And so for the next 90 days, I still kind of scheduled myself to not have to go to church on Sundays. And, you know, we were still doing Bible study and everything. Because I thought I thought I had a really great career, and I, you know, I thought we were going to do something. Well, I started having a lot of like, like pressure at work. Like I like it was really like I used to love what I do, and now I just absolutely hate it. And I don't, you know, just a lot of just friction and stuff going on. And so it's like 
90 days later after I received the Holy Ghost. I'm sitting in the back in the office. I got the shades drawn. And I'm not making this up. This is God's truth. I lay my head down on the table and I said, God, I don't know what this is that I'm feeling or not like this, but, you know, I'm supposed to pray to you and you're supposed to help me with this. I open up the door to my office and come out and there's my boss, the regional HR manager and some other big wigs. So they come down to fire me, basically. So I get fired, get walked out the door. I'm thinking to myself, I'm pretty sure that's not what I meant when I prayed. <laughs> but anyway, so I go home. I, I get home at like 2 in the afternoon. Lisa's like, what are you doing home? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Kevin fired me. It's kind of, you know, just kind of like numb from it all. And so, um, <laughs> so... I'm like, all right, well, so it's later on in the evening, I'm like, all right, I, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to go take a, take a bath and relax and try to, you know, like, get this day off of me. Never once in my mind did it, you know, like, maybe I should go pray or seek the Lord or see what's going on. Like, you know, because I don't, I'm not functioning at that level. I don't have this relationship with the Lord yet, right? And I'm getting into, I'm getting into the, the bathtub, and the Holy Ghost literally speaks to me. Like, this is the only time I've ever heard, like, the Holy Ghost, like, speak outside of, you know, like, it was coming from the outside. It says, get down on the floor and worship me. I'm like, in? I'm like, I'm going to take a bath for it. So literally, I jumped down onto the floor and, and lay down on the floor, stretched out. And I like went to, and I was worshiping God and thanking him for everything. And I'm thanking him for being fired. I'm thanking him for all this stuff that I didn't know that was in me. And so... <laughs> I came out of the bathroom. I must have. I must have. It must have been what the Israelites saw when Moses came down off the mountain. Because my wife goes, "What is up with you? What is wrong with you?" And so I told her. She's like, "Well, you know." And she's thinking like, "That's like that's the most amazing thing ever." And I'm like, "I'm scared." <laughs> I mean, I'm like, I'm like really scared. So anyway, that kind of you know that kind of started our journey. Our our good friends that had brought us into the church and. Uh, and we're doing the Bible study. They actually uh, sent us on vacation. So who else gets fired and then gets to go on a vacation in Florida for a week, right? Definitely the blessing of the Lord, right? Amen. So just a little testimony there. You're ignoring me. <laughs> All right. Go ahead. Last question, ma'am. No, it's, this is not a question. Now, this if you didn't do this too. every Tuesday, I'd be concerned. But since you do this every Tuesday, it's... Well, I like to know. I like to... Okay. I like to know. <laughs> I'm trying to Very finish much. up here. <laughs> well, so, uh, you know, to add to what you're saying, I mean, the Lord ordered our steps. Like, the people that, like, we had been praying, like, we didn't know anything about church, like, really going to church or anything. So, yeah. like, here we are, God, you know, order our steps. So we learned that along the way to pray that. And mm -hmm. if it's not your will, shut the door. So, no joke, the same weekend that we moved, to where we moved to in Michigan, this apostolic family moved one mile down the road and our daughters were both six in the kindergarten class. Now, I mind you, we never heard anything like this before. And our daughters became best friends instantly. And so we go, I go, I go, because you were probably scheduling that work day, you know. <laughs> and so I go to the greet and meet the parents. And, this, and our daughter was in kindergarten, six right. years old, okay. And the parents come to me, the, and she's like, um, you know, uh, are you Amber 
Where's mom? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, oh, well, Quincy talks about you all the time, you, or your daughter, and we need to set up a play date. So I thought, well, you know, okay, this, well, you know, we're, I'm new here, and I just found out you guys just moved. Well, I didn't find all this out till like a month later, because I waited a month. I thought, well, okay, maybe I'll call him. So I call him, I call her, and I start asking her, like, well, do you know of any churches? Why would I say that? I mean, I don't even know why I would say that. Well, that's because we prayed earlier for good Lord to guide our steps. Well, I mean, I, I'm like, well, because I had went and visited a church, and I thought, oh, no, this, no, no, that, I'm not going there. So I told her, and I don't even know why I was telling her this. I felt like I knew her a thousand years. And she start, she just says, well, as a matter of fact, I do. And I didn't even think about, well, how would you know about a church here if you just moved here, right? Well, so... It's like so God. I could, I could definitely say at that moment I was not seeking the kingdom first, right? Well, we didn't know about we, it. We just know. didn't understand. But because of you know faithfulness of other people and the God answering a prayer, right? Mm -hmm. Literally, a family that we would have never associated with or had anything to do with as we're brought together because of our children, and yeah. here we stand today, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So back to sure. uh, six thirty-three, just to kind of wrap it up. So. Jesus is talking about food, drink, and shelter when he says all these things added to you, right? Which are symbols of provision, fullness, and life, right? But he just didn't say instant gratification, right? That, that, I think that's, you know, that's a big piece, the whole waiting on the Lord and his timing. Because as I mentioned in the beginning, worldly kingdoms want you to acquire possessions and to rule over others and to, to compete. And that's not what we do in the kingdom of God. So the pursuit of instant gratification never operates out of love, right? It always operates out of the worldly kingdom. It's not, it's not the love of God. It's not sinking the kingdom first. So this instant gratification or answer my prayer now or even, you know, if you want to go into a prosperity doctrine or I laid my hand on the Corvette and I prayed for it and God's going to give it to me, that type of stuff. Like, now that, that's not what he said by all these things are added to you, right? Right. I know because I tried it. <laughs> before I knew any better. Forgive me, forgive me before I knew any better. So, so when God's kingdom has fully come, everyone will operate from a position of love. So thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus put everything into God's promise. Right? And he trusted in that way of love, right? That's the way. When we say, I am the way, this is the way. The way is love, okay? So, he not only that, but he made, made that by seeking the kingdom of God in his life instead of seeking the world, right? Because we know that the devil came to him and offered him all the kingdoms of the world and everything, and he rebuked it and rebuffed it with, with the word. But really, Jesus wasn't saying in 633 that you shouldn't seek these things or you shouldn't be, you know, trying to, you know, provide and do all those things. He's just saying that you needed to do it in a proper manner of putting the Lord first, and, and then these things will be added to you. So it's not that you shouldn't want these things. So the desire for substance and survival is not a bad thing. And, and actually, there's just as many verses in Proverbs and, and in other verses in the Bible where it talks about, you know, a man that does not provide for his family is worse than an infidel, right? And, you know, a wise man sees the storm that comes and prepares, and a fool doesn't and is left to his folly. So there's just as much word of God talking about needing to make sure that you're, you know, living not only a good, godly, righteous life and seeking the Lord's will, 
but also making sure that you're walking properly so that he can bless you yes. with those things, right? Yeah. So, so being of, of sound mind. But let's remember in the garden, Jesus prayed, Lord, take this cup away from me, right? Fully in that moment, right? He was fully, he was fully in his, fully the man at that moment, right? Yes. Take this cup from me, all right? But he said, nevertheless, thy will be done, right? So Jesus sought the kingdom of God at that moment at the ultimate price. He knew at that moment, right, the ultimate price. Mm -hmm. And he still went through it anyway, yes. right? Because he said, you know, nevertheless, thy will be done, which is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So that's the ultimate example that we should be looking at from that perspective. And that is the last note that I have in there. So the Lord has given us an example of what seeking the kingdom is. Yes. We know what it means to seek the kingdom, I hope, right? I hope I explained that well. Mm -hmm. We seek the kingdom first. We got to get this relationship right. And then we can do the two commandments, which is love God with your whole heart and mind. And the final scripture, uh, and this by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, love that you another. have love one to another. Yes. If you ever have a church that doesn't have love in it, it's useless. You have to have love one to another because it's easy to love people. I mean, we say we love God, but we can't see him. We can feel him, but it's easy to love people too if we try. Sometimes we're unlovable. <laughs> I'm I'm aligned with what you're saying right there. I, I, I find that you know, the seeking seeking the Lord and His will and the love is sometimes derailed by the fact that I struggle to love others. It's important. Because so important. loving others, I think, is the hardest thing that we will go through mm -hmm. as Christians. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, I'm sure between here and home, something will happen, yes. and I'll see somebody that I'm not in love with. Yes. Right. <laughs> or they won't use a blinker, or you know, something will happen. And, you know, just, it, it, it is. It's 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 a continual test for the believer around loving people. Mm -hmm. You've got 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> I like, this is what I like about when we first started going to church is that what you're talking about in John, but John is the part that got me. You know, everybody, I think everybody knows John 3.16, at least everybody that I ever knew. That's what, that's the first I knew. But I had never heard of John 3, 3 yeah, through, through 5. 15, yeah. Now, well, yeah, 1 through 15, but it's like, you know, Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and he told him, you know, unless a man, except a man be born again of water and of spirit, spirit you can't even enter, enter or see the kingdom right. of God. You can't enter or see. Enter or see that's the right. kingdom of God, of what you're talking about, the kingdom of God. So that's always, like, been a, right. you know, me. So lately I've been hearing a lot of, you know, teaching on how do you, you know, I've even, I've never heard this before, but this is just recent, how they've been teaching. They're saying, you know, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can correct me if I'm wrong, when you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you can now see. You can see the kingdom. But you can't enter in until you're baptized, baptized in, in Jesus' name. name. You know, you, you have to 
see and meet her in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's I mean, just always been... It all goes back to the Acts 238 message, right? You know, I mean, it's, you know, that's the, that's the foundation and the kicking off principle of, of, of this, this church, right? Of, of the actual church, the true church. Okay. So, all right. Any thoughts, comments? I'll email everybody a questionnaire for <laughs> Don't ask me any hard questions. Outside of my notes, please. <laughs> I, I shared this with Vince the other morning. The, the, the Lord has really been talking to me. Like when I talk to him in the morning, he's telling me, he's like, hey, be, be a good son. I want you to be a good son. And like, you know, from my background, I, I don't have a fatherly relationship here on earth. So I'm like, well, I'm like, what does that mean? Be a good son. He's like, I mean, I'm like, Lord, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I think I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> you know, and then and then I mentioned that to Pastor Mark a few weeks ago. And he goes, yeah, it's real simple. It's obedience. And, of course, the first thing Vince says is obedience. And I'm like, shut up. <laughs> but then I, I was talking with with another with another minister. He's like he's like yeah it's you know it's it's obedience. The, the way to be a good son is obedience, right? And then if, you know First John three one and two, right? Beloved, what great love is this that we have been adopted as sons of God, right? You know, so he's like telling me, just, you know, you've been adopted. Be a good son. So. That's, uh, that's it. That's all I have to share. We got five minutes. Um, any other thoughts, questions? If not, we can end in, uh, end in prayer and uh, seal this thing with the word with uh, some prayer. Oh, Amen. and uh, don't forget the, uh, the offering. <laughs> all right. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be here this evening. Thank you, Lord, for letting the word come forth. And God, I just thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to to be here, Lord, the revelation of your truth and your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus. I praise your holy name. Lord, I magnify your name, Jesus. I thank you, God, for you are great and greatly to be praised.